Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Joe Rowles. And I'm Jeff Essery. We are now off of our second consecutive win, Joe. So that feels good to be breaking down another victory for the Denver Broncos, who finally got to play after a um, weird couple weeks there with COVID positive tests on the New England Patriots, pushing the game and giving kind of an impromptu bye week. So... We kind of hung out with everybody last week just during the bye to talk about it, but now we actually have a real game to break down. So it's probably too soon, and I don't want to be the like do the Jim Mora thing, but if Denver finds a way to steal win this week, we might be talking the P word. <laughs> Possibly. I don't know. Right? Um, I mean – I don't want to. I don't want to jinx it. Like I don't want to jinx it yet. Yeah. If they. I mean, if they continue but, to play the like, way that for they the did. First time when I look, I look at the Football Outsiders playoff odds report, and for the first time, they actually there's actually a chance that they win a playoff game now. Whoa. That hasn't been a thing all year. Yeah. Like they've been the only team not on there. Like the Jets were on there because they were in the AFC East. But yeah, the Broncos weren't until I think, now. I think that'll be so, again. An I don't want to jinx it, guys. Like it's a low chance, but the, the division to me is like. I mean, I, before this game, and like they played well this game. I thought um, 
I mean, they're, yes. they were a couple drops away from probably having the best game that the Denver Broncos have had in the last, I'd say, two years. Uh, if they punch it into the end zone a couple times, and it's not about final score, but just you know, in terms of everything coming together, if they would have had a couple touchdowns where they finish off those drives or take advantage of the turnovers and punch it in the end zone, I, I think we would have like a complete team performance that we haven't seen really in the last two years, I don't think. And you can make a legitimate argument that they should have had at least two of those red zone trips should have been touchdowns. And you could probably make an argument for more of them. Yeah. So agreed. I, as a, as an overall thing. Yeah. Like I thought it was, they played really well all around. There's definitely mistakes. Like, don't get me wrong, but I was very encouraged. Yeah. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they play against Kansas city because I've always looked at this division and thought Denver would be lucky to split with the Raiders and the chargers, just the way that they're playing right now. And that was before I saw Sunday's game against new England. Um, mm-hmm. and then didn't think they would beat the chiefs at all. So that's two and four in the division. And then you're looking at a couple games that you're probably going to drop from the NFC slate. Like, I don't think they'll beat the saints. Um, the Panthers may be a toss up. I think they'll beat Atlanta and then the bills are going to be a tough game. And so I don't see a ton of winnable games out there on the schedule, but, and we've talked about that on the, on this show, but the way they played Sunday you know, they, they could potentially be on the uptick. And so we'll see how they play Kansas City. But if they continue to play well, maybe they do split with Oakland or excuse me, Las Vegas now. Maybe they do split with the Raiders or the Chargers or maybe they're able to to beat one of them two times, which would make them 500 in the division at least. And I think this is something. And again, I, I, I pour over this stuff probably more than I should. But uh, as of now, the way Football Outsiders weighs, you know, DVOA for all the like the all the teams in the league, the Broncos have finished like their past schedule is the fifth hardest schedule in the league, which again they made it out of that two and three, which is pretty encouraging. Their future schedule, as of right now, is the tenth hardest schedule in the league. So it's not like they're out of the woods by any means, but it gets a little easier. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely gets better across the AFC with, I mean, we've talked about this, those first three okay. opponents that Denver faced, they're going to wind up being one. They're the num- they're all the number one teams in their division right now. All three of them will probably wind up in the playoffs mm-hmm. and two of them are undefeated. <laughs> and two of them also have probably the best defense in football right now. The two best defenses in football with the Pittsburgh Steelers yep. and the, and the Buccaneers. And the way the defenses are so good is the perfect storm to ruin Denver and new England didn't really have that. And so I think that that is why we were able mm-hmm. to see a little bit more productive of an offense and drew lock was back in. And so that always helps when you have your starting quarterback back in. So, I mean, I think we could probably dive into the game right there with drew lock. Yeah. We've got a couple things that, you know, we'll touch on that stuck out to us overall in terms of themes, but drew lock, it was his first game back. So I think we have to talk that right off the bat. What did you think, Joe? It's better than the numbers. Uh, some someone got mad at me the numbers during the bad, game because so. Julak threw that interception. Julak <laughs> threw that interception, and I and I made I made a tweet saying this next drive is going to be really telling, and he turned around through another interception. And someone asked me, they're like, "Oh, you were waiting for it," and it's like, "No, I actually I had two paragraphs written talking about how Drew Lock looked better than the stats, and then he threw that second interception." 
the interceptions were bad. The, the second one was worse than the first, I thought. Uh, the second one just felt like a YOLO ball, and I Drew Locke does that. Um, some of his best plays in that game were essentially YOLO type of throws where he just he puts the ball up for somebody to go get it. And when you have somebody like Tim Patrick who can go and go get it, it'll end up looking really good. And that's one of the things, like, when, when again, if Denver had all their receivers and they had Cortland Sutton catching some of those passes, those kind of plays would look a lot better. Unfortunately, you have Deshaun Hamilton and Albert O trying to catch those passes. And Deshaun Hamilton's – that's not his game. And, Al, and Deshaun Hamilton's essentially your fifth receiver anyway. But Deshaun Hamilton, really, that is not a strength of his game at all. So the fact that – and sometimes he's just going to get it because the defense falls asleep on him. But it's not all that surprising if he doesn't catch a deep pass to me. Like, I wasn't surprised when he didn't get the ball. Yeah. And, I mean, I think the the other part but of the stats – All, all that, said, I – go ahead. Sorry. I would say the other part of the stats that didn't look good from Locke's perspective was his efficiency. I mean, I think he was at 41% was the total he completed. Was it 10, was it 10 passes? Yeah, I might have I those. So. Numbers. I'd have to go look, but it those wasn't. numbers. I don't know if that can be right. Let me see. I think he completed ten passes on Sunday, which saying it now is insane. But I mean, I don't. I do think he he did look a lot better than than the stats um, would show. Hold, folks. And 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 to kind of confirm that PFF, who called. Drew Locke, the worst quarterback in football after week one, actually gave him, I think it was a 68 or a 70 grade for that game. And the way they graded is based on the throws he made. Did they, were they in a position where the receiver should have caught it? So they, they gave him the benefit of the doubt on a lot of those plays as well. So it's not just you and me being fanboys saying that Drew Locke looked better than the numbers. He looked better than the numbers. Yeah. So Speaking of the numbers, so we have him here. He completed 10 passes. That's insane. And 41% is bad, but completing 10 passes. So what's interesting is they had seven passing first downs. So seven of his 10 passes went for first downs. Um, And some of it, I think, was just the offensive design, like the way they went into the offense was trying to take advantage of the Patriots' one-on-one matchups that they were giving them because they were giving them. So, I, so that's one of the things and we always try to do this. We, we have it as a, a point um, every week on our, in our show notes is what stuck out to you that was different than on the broadcast. And that's one of the things that I've changed my mind on a little bit. Like I know you and I were both talking during the game and I was a little down on Pat Shermer and we'll get into more of this when we talk in the, we we'll talk red zone stuff, but Looking back at it, I thought Pat Shermer actually called a pretty good game from a design perspective because he was taking what the Patriots were giving them. I mean, Bill Belichick is a notorious cover one guy, man coverage across the board. And so he was running a lot of outside, down the sideline routes away from that middle safety to one-on-one matchups. And it was matchups that Denver should have been winning. It was Albert O on a wheel route against a safety. It was Jerry Judy on a slot fade. It was the kind of stuff that we wanted Pat Shermer to do when he came into Denver to coach the offense. And so after watching it again, I, I can't really fault them much for the way they attacked the offense. It was it was just a it was a low percentage um, type of design because it was more deep shots for Drew Locke. And they just didn't convert on a lot of them. Like they they left a lot of plays out on the field. 
And so that, that does leave you with a 41% completion percentage, but it wasn't, it wasn't an 80% completion percentage kind of design of the offense. Anyway, it was maybe a 60% that you get big chunk plays on. Yeah. And kudos to Drew Locke. Cause it was a third and forever. And Drew Locke converted that. Like you don't convert those. That's why you like, those are the kind of plays that Drew Locke makes his money. The third and 21 and again, it was or something, a risky right? Play. Yeah. Uh, after the sack, and then he went on to get it. And again, those the risky. The way he did it is risky, but that's Drew Locke's game as well. Like he's not afraid to make it. And one of the things I found really encouraging in the way he was doing it was he was standing in the pocket, and his mechanics were sound. He was throwing with his legs, and the ball placement was really good. Uh, not just that play, but across the board, I thought his ball placement in this game was really good. I think Drew Locke did look better. I do think there are some kinks to work out with them. I think he was a little bit timid on a couple of the throws, not wanting to overshoot when he went deep. And so he did underthrow a couple of them. I'm thinking of the um, the Tim Patrick post that he threw deep that almost got intercepted by the backside corner. And it was it was a really good I mean, it's a well coached play by by Bill Belichick. It's something Locke needs to expect because he's gonna get picked off on that next time around if he's not careful. Is so you had the it was a two man route essentially, and Jerry Judy releases across the field. So you have the um, the corner that was covering Judy. Now he bails, and like the corners there are taught to replace, like to go back and look for the post on those type of plays because it's like a shot play that you're going to be you're working the middle safety on the post. And so Locke sees Tim Patrick beating the middle safety for the post and chucks it up there. And I don't think he saw the corner. And so the route probably like the throw probably works if the corner's not there. But in the future, I, I'd like Locke to lead him a little bit more. I mean, it's a it's a small march, it's a small window, right? Because he's already in the end zone. But I think if he puts that a little bit further out in front of Patrick and leads him upfield away from the corner, you potentially have a touchdown there. But and that's one you'll learn from, you know. Um but I do think there was one or there was another one too where he, he did a similar thing. It was um, when he had Albert O on a kind of a fade route from the uh, from a three-by-one set. He was the inside, like, the, the number three receiver, and they had him on a, a fade route, and um, Locke undershot him a little bit there, too. But other than that, I, I totally agree with you. Locke looked so much better from a ball placement standpoint than he did in the Titans game. I was worried on the Titans game because he was, he was not was, looking yeah. in sync at all from a deep ball perspective and this drew lock that we saw on Sunday, you put him with Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton. And I think it's what you would, ex- you, we expected to see this year from this offense, right? So now we actually like drew lock is actually looking pretty good. We just don't have Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant to, to plug in there with it. But I did think the offense looked better with him at the helm. Yeah, agreed. I thought the second down sack, he had a cross. He, had, I think he had Tim Patrick on a crosser, uh, stuff like that. I mean, those are ro- young rookie mistakes. Like not rookie, but those are young quarterback mistakes. Um, you live with them. I wasn't happy during the game. I was really. I I get stressed out during games that Denver's in, just because every mistake just feels so much bigger. <laughs> uh, so it, again, it was an inexcusable mistake, knowing that it knocked him out of the. It, it, again, if they don't have Brandon McManus, it knocks him out of the a scoring opportunity. Uh, but it didn't because, again, they have Brandon McManus, and I thought Fangio handled it well. Running on third down when you think you have a kicker who can make that kick, it makes sense. I still don't – I'm not a huge fan of it. I think a short pass would have been better. 
but it makes sense given the fact that they had faith that McManus could make that kick. Yeah, but, that, yeah that sack, I, was, I think, it, was probably outside of the two interceptions was probably the worst play from him of that game. Yeah. That red zone sack. And the fumble snap was bad. Yeah. Um, but, but no, again, I agree with you. I think overall, if Locke shows that kind of play going forward, again, I want him to cut down on the interceptions. But if he continues to do stuff like that, I, I was very encouraged by it, when I, especially when I went back over it. Um, I do think we disagree a little bit because I thought Pat Shermer's play uh, play calling in the within the thirty like yard line when he was going in. I still not super happy. I was happier than I thought I was going to be because I think you're right. The way the Patriots call man and the way their secondary is built, it makes sense to try and win some of those ISO routes. But I thought Shermer could have helped more with more like pick plays stuff like that. Once you started to get when you can't spread them out deep, I would have liked Shermer to do to do more to like try and cause conflicts underneath, especially like third and two. And I think it was the second scoring drive third and two, you throw it into the end zone. I went back over the play. Cause I was worried that Locke just didn't even see it. There wasn't another way with the ball. Like Locke made the right decision there. There's just nowhere to go. With That's it. the one with Judy coming um, across, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, and again, I, I, I get, I, I, again, I like the idea that you're going to go for the end zone there, but if your only thing you're doing is going for the end zone there, then have a play ready for fourth down. Yeah, that was like, a weird one. If you're not going to even try and get the sticks, if you're not going to try and get the sticks, go for it on fourth down. So that one, if it's the one I'm thinking of, that if you're talking about the, the one I'm thinking of, it was a play action. And Locke comes off the play action, and there's really nothing there. Like, they weren't developing anything. And so I wonder, so Jake Butt was on there blocking, and I wonder if he was supposed to release, um, if he maybe stayed on his guy too much because I was watching him and like the way the play was drawn up, it seems like you would want Jake Butt leaking out after he blocks his man initially because you have Judy coming across as well. But other than that, there wasn't anything else really out there from a route concept perspective. So it was just a weird, like that was a weird play. If that's the way um, Shermer drew it up, that to me, that's, that's odd. Um, and, and part of the reason I'm so critical of that kind of play is Shermer does better normally. So somebody, somebody tried to tell me during the game, like, oh, they should fire Shermer. I was like, no, I'm not calling to fire Shermer. Like, I'm not that guy. I'm not, like, this isn't the the hot take radio station just trying to call for firing for everybody. But, yeah, it was a mistake on his part, I thought. And I thought that, again, you could be right. I, I definitely go back over that and see if Butt should release. But, but I, I didn't like that play call, and I thought that could have cost them points. Uh, but overall, yeah, I was more encouraged by Shermer's game when I went back over it than I was on the broadcast. The broadcast, I was really frustrated. Yeah, because I caught, I, to your point on the rub routes, I caught one. They ran a slant flat concept that attempted to cross New England up in their man coverage in the red zone. Um, Locke didn't look that way because he had that stick nod route um, or the stick nine route, essentially, that uh, Alberto ran. That's the one Alberto drops, where he's like in the middle of the end zone on the, mm-hmm. on the um, eventually was a seam route after he um, went out and turned it upfield. But they they had on the backside a slant flat concept, and New England actually played it really well. So I'm glad Locke didn't look there because they switched it and it, it worked well. But he at least tried on that one. But I thought a couple of the plays were actually pretty good play calls even if they are trying to isolate guys on mat and take advantage of matchups, those guys just have to win those. I mean, I, the way that he used Albert O I thought was really, really strong. Like he had him either 
it was very rare that he just had him in line running routes. He usually had him, he was setting him up for things the way that he moved him around. So he was either running, I think he had him as the nub receiver on a three by one, like, so as the X guy, um, he had him as the number three receiver in a three by one. So you've essentially got like, that's the one where he ran him out on a fade or a corner route. So he's got plenty of room to run. He ran him on a wheel route on a twins, like stacked concept where he's got a good um, go against the safety. That's the, that was one of the early ones that locked through to the end zone that I thought Alberto could have gotten. That would have been a harder one to get, but I mean, there was a couple plays that he should have had. Well, and let's, let's talk about that for a second because I was really encouraged by Alberto, even though he had the drops. Yeah, true. I'm not knocking the. I mean, I mean, you can't. No, you gotta no, clean I, that. I, you got to clean that up. But I think I was excited about him watching him play. And and coming into the game, uh, coming out of the draft, a big the big question about him was he he didn't run a lot of routes. He wasn't a very good blocker. He basically was a, a very athletic guy who could play bully ball. And I was I was disappointed in how he played bully ball. I thought he had the two drops, and part of that was like he just didn't secure the ball. I wasn't surprised because again, coming out of camp, he was having like we were hearing about stuff like that. But he was running more routes than I expected. Like he was he was actually playing tight end. Like he wasn't just a guy running drags. Yeah. And I thought the way that Pat Shermer used him was similar to the way that Pat Shermer has used Noah Fant. And the other thing too is what's interesting is this is one of the first times, if I'm not mistaken, like this is one of the first time that Denver has really faced a man heavy team, like a, a cover one, um, you know, man free team because all the other teams have been more zone blitzing, um, style teams. And so this is really the first time that we've seen Shermer get to kind of play chess a little bit and move his guys around and find the matchups from a man to man perspective. And so, like if Noah Fant is in that role and Shermer's doing the same things with him that he was with Albert O on Sunday, that's a really dangerous combination. And so I know we had a listener slash reader question about that, about what does 12 personnel look like with Okaway Bunam and Fant in there. And I think it's pretty scary. I don't, I mean, I think you tweeted out during the game, Joe, you can't keep him a healthy scratch anymore. You've got to play him. I think he played better in the passing game than Jake Butt or Nick Vanette and wasn't to at least from what I saw, wasn't a huge liability in the in the run game. And so I don't think they used him they didn't use him a ton in the run game anyway. But I would say he's no worse as a run blocker, at least off of what I've seen than Noah Fant is. And again, I don't think Noah Fant's a good blocker, but I don't think what Noah Fant's such a liability as a blocker that you can't put him on the field. And Albert O yeah. I, and again, Nick Vanette and Jake Butt, neither one of them give you much at all as a receiver. And you win by getting the ball downfield and having the kind of mismatch weapons that Noah Fan and Alberto present together. Like having that on the field together, like having them as a wing, like those two on one side and then having like Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton or Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy on the other side, it's going to be, it's going to cause issues. Yeah. And I thought that, Nick Vanette, to your point on tight ends, Nick Vanette had a better game this this week than I've yeah. seen from him. I thought he looked pretty good in the run game. I mean, they had Andrew Beck in there at one point too, running the um, OF counter, and we'll talk about that when we get to the run game because I was really excited to see that one get get rolled out. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought the tight ends in general had a better game. If if Nick if Nick Vanette can do this. Every game going forward, I will stop complaining about Nick Vanette, which is saying <laughs> something because I've been complaining about Nick Vanette 
without ceasing for a month now. But he was he was a lot better than I that I dared hope for against the Patriots. So while we're on the offense, let's go ahead and jump over to the run game, and then we'll flip over fields to the defense because I know we got several notes to go through on the defensive side as well. Um, anything else you want to say on the red zone stuff? Because I know that that was I mean that was that was a big point, right? I mean Denver kicked six field goals. They should have had at least two to three touchdowns. What do you think they have to do? Maybe to put a bow on the red zone conversation. What do you think they have to do? to punch it in in the future and hold on to the ball. <laughs> I think, I mean, I, again, I, I think, uh, Pat Shermer could do more in terms of like crossing routes, causing conflicts like that. I get, I get in a lot of situations where he didn't because he had the isolations and he trusted the matchups, uh, especially against the chiefs. I don't necessarily think that's going to always be the case. So I do think you're going to need to be able to scheme guys open a little bit more. But I, I think the big thing was that the guys, like the receivers, just didn't hold on to the ball. I thought the opportunities were there. Yeah, I would agree. And um, how about you? Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, that changed for me once I went back over it um, because I was with you. I was a little bit um, down on Shermer for some of the red zone concepts. It look, it didn't look like much was going on. But after looking at it again, I mean. I wouldn't have done anything differently on a lot of those plays because they were there to be made and they were designed well. They put the, you know, put their guys in position to succeed and they just didn't come down with the ball. And so, I mean, those things you just have to work out. And you know, we, we've heard that from guys like Peyton Manning who used to drill red zone plays, used to drill like that, the end zone fade just constantly. And this is Locke's first game in. And I thought he played, I mean, he, he didn't really miss any of those. There was one or two, maybe he could have had a little bit better placement, but mostly that's just on I think you know timing chemistry with the receivers and then those guys just Alberto was in his first start right and so I I can't blame him a ton for um not coming through on a couple of those because they would have been some tough catches but I think those are you just have to make those plays like that's what they've got to do in the red zone are you worried about Jerry Judy at all I don't know I need to go back and honestly I need to like hone in on Jerry Judy on the on the film because it looks like I mean he's the number one offense I mean he's the number one option in the offense I would think or I think from what I've seen so far and um, I think he's getting more attention than Tim Patrick is and Tim Patrick is getting a lot more of the opportunities so it may be that may be what's going on um because you're you're right, he wasn't at, he's not been as productive. But also, like the quarterback has been quarterback carousels kind of been nuts. And there was one play, I think it, it may have been anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the US like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did 
to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It may have been the one that Locke took a sack. I forget now which exact play it was, but Jerry Judy had a really, really nice route. Like I watched his route and he was, um, he shook his guy. He, you know, acted like he was going to go on a, um, a wheel route and then broke it off and came back inside. It was kind of a dig route over the middle. I know what player you're talking about. Yeah. And Locke missed him. Locke didn't see him. Um, and, and well, that's the one, it, this is the one where Glam, Graham Glasgow got stepped on and the defensive tackle comes through free. And so it's a mix of like, Locke didn't see him and was just kind of drifting in the pocket, so he wanted to, he didn't have a chance to really get it in there to him in time. Um, but if Locke hangs in there and stands in the pocket, I think he's able to find him even before Glasgow falls down and his man gets in, but he ends up hitting Locke, and I think he either got sacked or he threw it away. But Jerry Judy was open there, and he just missed him. The play wasn't, you know, the play just got missed. And so I do. I am a little disappointed in just the production overall from Jerry Judy, and obviously he had one of those drops that he probably should have had on that slot fade in the end zone. It probably should have been a touchdown. Um, but he's still winning. I think he's winning on his routes, and so I, I think it's just let's give it time to to see the production come to light. It's a great question, yeah, though. Fine. I think I, I want to go back over his tape once we have enough games where it's him and Locke instead of him and Jeff Driscoll yeah. and everybody else. Great point. Uh, just because, but I, I'm with you. I'm not worried about him. I think he, his route running is every bit as good as I thought it was going to be. He was also playing against, again, the Patriots secondary is no joke. Like that's the same secondary. That was the best defense in football last year. Their front isn't the same, but their secondary is every bit as good as it was. Yeah. I was actually impressed. Um, by Pat Shermer from a coaching standpoint, because I was anticipating that Denver would get out coached by Bill Belichick, particularly on the defensive side. And I don't think that happened. I mean, obviously you've got the turnovers that the Denver set Denver up in good position, but Denver turned the ball over twice too. And so I, I do think that the coaching job that Denver did on both the defensive side, and we'll get to Fangio here in a second on the defense, but also on the offensive side, was really, really strong. And so Denver should be happy about that. And it's not a coincidence that this is the one, this is the game that I think, you know, Denver played their best football and also was probably one of their better games in a long time. And the coaching on both sides of the ball was really, really strong. That's not a coincidence. Well, and I think, I mean, Drew Lockout played Cam Newton. I I know the numbers don't necessarily bear that out, but I, I, as a, as a passer and in putting his guys in positions to make plays, I thought Drew Locke definitely outplayed Cam Newton. I think Pat Shermer had something to do with that. Yeah, I would agree. So, and and on the running again, game, I, I, I can nitpick. I can nitpick here and there, but as a whole, like I've been pretty pleased with Pat Shermer as a whole. Yeah, and to me, a piece of that goes into the running game, and this is one of the things that we noticed. And I tweeted it out during the game, and we've talked about this. If you've listened to our show at all, is that I thought the run game diversity, I said this last week, I think, the run game diversity was better under Rich Scangarello than it has been under Pat Shermer because Lindsey's been out of the lineup, and so they've been mostly just running zone. It's mainly been inside zone, outside zone, some duo. Um, but I haven't seen a lot of power. Not a, like I haven't seen a counter all year, I don't think, um, for Melvin Gordon because, one, that's what Melvin Gordon excels in as well. But Lindsey was in the lineup now, and we saw a couple really strong plays that mixed it up. So we saw that counter OF. I just tweeted it out. Um, you can check it out on my Twitter feed. There was three or four of those that Denver ran last year. It was their best running play. They always busted a big play on it. And it's it's one of Lindsay's best plays. 
And they broke it out again this week and had Andrew Beck and Graham Glasgow leading the way. And so you had that. You had the um, halfback power in shotgun that um, Reisner was. I forget if Reisner had been hurt already, but either Schlotman or Reisner was pulling there. And so that was one that you I think know, it was you, Reisner. I think it was, was before Reisner got hurt. Okay, that was one that you and I identified Joe last year as one of the you know the the really strong plays as well, particularly from shotgun. Um, and those were some of the plays like credit to Shermer. I was calling for that last week. We specifically talked about this last week that I want to see more of those plays now that Lindsay's in the lineup and they did. And lo and behold, Lindsay runs for a hundred yards. And the other thing about Lindsay, I think for the, the game that, um, the thing that nobody's talking about from Lindsay's game, everyone's talking about his hundred yard game. This is only the second time in his career that he went over 20 carries. He went over 20 carries one other time, um, I don't have the stats in front of me. Um, I think it, it wasn't in his first year. He didn't go over 20 carries once in 2018. It was last year. I forget which game it was, but it was a loss. Uh, it was a loss to the Packers. It was the Packers game. Um, he had 80, he had like 80 something yards and had over 20 carries. But this is the most carries he's had in his career against New England. He had the most carries in his career, like 23. And the second time only that he went over 20 carries. And so when you look across his other 100 yard games that he's had, you know, he's done that on like 17, 19 carries. And so he's had to have like a seven yard per carry average. Like that's not replicable. I mean, it, it has been a little bit for Philip Lindsay, but that's not something you can just, you know, go in there and expect your running back to rip off seven yards a carry. And most of those are carried by big plays. And so really Lindsay's hundred yard games have been either he has a big play or he doesn't. Um, but I thought this was one of the first games that we've seen Lindsay really carry the load as a running back. And I thought he did. He did a pretty good job. I mean, over 20 carries in this day and age for a running back is pretty strong. Like That's kind of bell cow status. And he had 100 yards rushing, averaged over four yards a carry. And so I thought Lindsey had a really good game coming back. Well, and from a coaching perspective, too, I thought it was a good idea to lean on the run, the running game as much as they did. Uh, and again, I, I'm not one of those people who think you have to, like, so-and-so gets 100 yards, you win every time. Like, I think that's a excuse my French, but I think that's a bullshit stat. And I think causation there is it's, it's crap. I, I it's one of the laziest things analysts do is when they say, Oh, when Philip Lindsay runs for a hundred yards, the Broncos are undefeated. It's like, yeah, well those two things aren't necessarily linked. That said, in terms of coaching, the Patriots tend to run out of a, like with a safety in the box as a linebacker. So it made a ton of sense to lean on your running game, especially when they had such a strong secondary. And when you were missing half the receiving core, like, it, it was, it was again, Pat Shermer, for how critical I am of a couple of his things, I thought Pat Shermer as a whole called a really good game. Yeah, and again, we're probably a couple a couple red zone plays away from this being a really, really strong offensive performance. And it already was. Yes. I mean, Lindsey goes for over 100 yards. Um, I mean, the locks numbers were pretty pedestrian from a passing standpoint, but they didn't really need to be. They were moving the ball. You know, they were moving the ball in between the 20s. And so... I think that's the first step. And I said this on on the game um, during the game is that that's step one, right? You get locked back. You're moving the ball between the 20s. The offense looks sharper. I think the offense just looked a lot more cohesive than it has. I think the two weeks of practice really helped actually getting locked back and getting that much time to practice leading up to the Patriots. And so the next step is really you punch it into the red zone and maybe the offense starts to kind of come together a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other player I thought that really played well, just before we move over to the defense, I thought Lloyd Cushenberry had by far his best game as a pro, which is really encouraging. I do know that the Patriots don't necessarily have the kind of personnel to really test him like 
the games he's had up till now, but they do have big boys up front. And I thought Christian Berry did a good job. He, he held his own in pass protection. Um, which again, that's, that's what I can, I was thinking was going to be the strength of his game coming into the year. So it was good to see that he actually did it. Yeah. And again, this, this wasn't one of those heavy blitzing teams that we saw over those first five weeks. Like you said, I mean, it's, it's, we've talked about it's kind of the perfect storm for Denver's offense that they got blitzed so many times. And so by a hit that kind of stretch of defenses that just really like to um, bring the heat. And so I do think that we'll see the offensive line get better as it goes along. And I thought they had probably one of their best games against New England on Sunday. Flipping to the defensive Great. side, I know we we had a reader question as well, or listener question, um, about who played better. Was it the secondary or the front seven? And that's probably a good place to just kind of jump in and start, and then we'll mm-hmm. talk through kind of the other pieces of the defensive performance. But what did you think on that, Joe? I thought the front played better. I think the def- I thought the the defense as a whole played well. So me saying that is not to say that the secondary played poorly. Uh, but I thought front as a whole made the secondary play better. I also think the Patriots didn't have the receiving core to test the secondary like teams they've seen up till this point outside the Jets. Um, just like I, I and I tried to I tried to pour a little bit of cold water on the Ojemudie hype after. Like yesterday, I tried to do this. Uh, people people have been touting him as basically like the best thing since sliced bread. And again, he played very, very well against the Patriots. But the thing is, I don't want to set this expectation. And then if he turns around and has a bad game against the Chiefs, all of a sudden it's like, oh, what happened? Well, he also had a really good matchup against the Patriots. Like it's just, it, we have to th- keep that in mind. They don't have receivers. They have probably one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL. Uh but that said, yeah, I thought he played really well. I thought Bryce Callahan played really well. And I Justin Simmons played exceptional. Um, Kareem Jackson was no slouch. Uh, and I thought Bosby was solid. I, he he was better than what they've had. Like, he definitely, him coming in helped the secondary as a whole. That said, yeah, I thought the, the Patriots' offensive line was shredded by injuries and COVID. And I thought the Broncos' defensive line really took advantage. And I was hoping they would, and they did. Bradley Chubb was amazing. Um, and Isaiah Wynn, once Isaiah Wynn was moved back out to left tackle, that's their starting left tackle. And Chubb schooled him most of the game. And Shelby Harris, at this point, Shelby Harris is playing like one of the top defensive tackles in football. And Malik Reed really impressed me. Uh, Malik Reed, what's been concerning with Malik Reed, again, he's essentially, he's probably your third or fourth defensive end. And like with Von Miller healthy, he's not playing as much as he is. My big concern when Malik Reed has been playing a lot is there are times when he plays contain or he's the guy setting the edge where he'll get too far upfield or he'll chase the quarterback too far upfield and he'll give up inside of him. Uh, Josh Allen last year is the most like infamous example of this. And Cam Newton got him once on these where he goes so far upfield that ends up kind of allowing space for a quarterback to bail out and run away. But overall, he played it really well and he kept Cam from doing that to him. And I also thought him and Josie Jewell had a really, really nice scrape exchange against a zone read later yeah, in the game. Yeah, I remember that. That one. shut it down. I don't, I was really impressed with the secondary. So it's a really a tough. I think it's a tough one. Um, but I think I would agree with you with the front, just because of the amount of pressure they put on Cam Newton and the amount of like harassment they gave him, particularly just from like a batted ball standpoint and um, kind of getting in his face. And also, I thought they did a good job stopping the run. Um, now, the secondary did have a hand in that. I thought Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson were all over the place in the running game. And playing them close to the line like Vic Fangio did, I mean, he blitzed them several times as well. 
but they came up close to the line as well. And so they were really involved in the running game. And so I do think this, this offense was probably, I mean, obviously you've mentioned the, the receiver or the receiving core being kind of depleted, but from a schematic perspective too, this fits Denver's skill set. I think um, they're big up front and I thought they, you know, they, they can shut down a diverse running attack. I think um, the issues that they have, and then when it's time to load up against the pass, they were able to bring the blitz and play man coverage on the back end. And, and Patriots did, really didn't have the guys to, to run with them. I think the chiefs game coming up is going to be a big test for this defense because you're going to be in base sets potentially on first down. You don't know if they're running or passing and then the chief will spread you out. And that's where Denver struggles a little bit, particularly their outside linebackers. You can pick on them in coverage a little bit. Um, you can spread them out, make them play in space, and um, you can get them out of position in the running game as well with a lot of the jet motions and things like that that they do. And so I think this game is really going to be um, a big test for the defense, not just because they're playing Pat Mahomes, but from a schematic perspective, the Patriots' offensive scheme played better into Denver's hands than the Chiefs' one is going to coming up. But that said, the way that Vic Fangio has adapted this defense – I don't think we can say enough about the shift that they've already undergone and it'll, it'll continue to evolve. But I talked about this on um, Broncos country tonight with Benjamin Albright and Ryan Edwards before really anybody was talking about the whole, the whole blitzing stuff. I mean, we noticed it, you and I noticed it when during the jets game that Fangio was bringing so much more pressure. And I broke down the, the stats as well. And I'll, I'll mention those in a post on mile high report. You can check it out, but it's also on my Twitter feed. The, the amount of blitzing that they're doing, they're essentially doubling their blitzing from their inside linebackers. They're on pace right now for like 264 blitzes from the inside linebackers. And last year they blitzed like 90 times from the inside linebackers. So, I mean, they're bringing the heat a ton more to generate pressure, but that means like that changes your entire scheme. That's not just, Hey, they're bringing more blitzes. They're changing completely how they play things on the back end. They're playing a, a lot more man coverage over the last two weeks. Now, the Chiefs, it'll be it'll be tough. We'll see what happens when they do that. But they really kind of have the personnel to do it. I mean, you've got Justin Simmons, who kind of can play a slot role almost. Kareem Jackson's a former corner. And your two outside guys have held up well. Bryce Callahan's playing well. Why wouldn't you take your linebackers out of coverage, use Alexander Johnson essentially as a situational pass rusher, um, and let your guys go out there and cover your your big time. You got two big time safeties, and your corners are playing well. Put the pressure on them and force the quarterback to get the ball out, so they don't have to hold up as long. And so, I think the adjustment by Vic Fangio it has been a big adjustment, and not a lot of people have talked about that, like how big of an adjustment outside of just the blitzing, but the secondary, how much they've had to change their scheme over just the last two games, and that's been that's been huge. And we saw it play out well on Sunday. Well, and I think that's one area where Ojemudie is not getting enough credit is because coming out of Iowa, basically the big question about him was people didn't really know how well he was going to hold up in man coverage. And he's holding up in man coverage. Like he's, he's impressed me in man coverage. Like, and again, he's impressed me overall, but yeah, that's, that's the area of his game. Like we had no idea what he was going to be able to do. And so far he's done a really good job of it. I think I'm worried about the Chiefs game just because it's such a bad matchup to play that kind of defense into. Uh, when you put, when you blitz as much as the Broncos blitz right now, against most teams, you're going to get big plays, but you're going to give up big plays. 
And I don't think there's anybody in football better against the blitz anymore than Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes. But that said, I don't think the Broncos have the personnel to beat them if they don't do the blitz heavy scheme. But what's what, there's there's a decent chance the Broncos get lit up by Mahomes because of it. That said, that doesn't change how I feel about what Fangio's done. I think it, what he's done was you had to do it, and I think what he's doing is working. Yeah, and it's I just think, a bad matchup this week. I think you have to continue to roll the dice too, and you just have to put the pressure on your playmakers. Yeah. I think you've got to get Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons in there and tell them, you know, you've got to go win. And these guys on the outside, you've got to win. You're not going to be the Chiefs if you have Josie Jewell sitting in coverage on Tyre- uh, on Travis Kelsey. Like, you're, yeah. you have no chance. And you're not going to win by, you know, rushing four and sitting back and trying to play coverage. They're going to beat you anyway. And so you might as well send the house. And, and, and when I say that, like Vic Fangio on Sunday – he wasn't just blitzing willy nilly. It was very strategic, and it was he was mixing it up a lot. Sometimes, I mean, he brought Bryce Callahan more than we saw against the Jets. So the Jets, he he brought more two inside linebacker blitzes. This time, he incorporated more of the secondary. So he was blitzing from the you know the nickel bl- the slot blitzes. He was blitzing Callahan from the slot. He was blitzing the two safeties Simmons and Jackson. And then at times he was bringing Jewel and Alexander Johnson too. And so. I think you continue to mix that up to keep the Chiefs scheme, um, the Chiefs blocking scheme kind of on their toes and keep Pat Mahomes on his toes as well. And maybe it helps your your secondary as well. They don't have to hold up as long in coverage. Well, and, and that's something to kind of keep in mind too going into this game. Again, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but the Chiefs are dealing with a lot of issues uh, on their offensive line too. Like they've they've had to reshuffle their offensive line a couple times now because of injuries and then they lost a player to an opt out. So there's a decent chance they're going to get some, some hits on Mahomes because of this. It's just, they may also give up a few big plays because of it. And you just got to live with it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's, it's going to be a fun matchup. That'll be the, that'll be the key. I think, um, I mean, obviously the offense has to go score points. I tweeted this out during the game or, uh, a day or two ago that, um, the Chiefs' lowest scoring output so far this season has been 23 points, and Denver's only scored more than 23 points once this season, and that was against the Jets. And so Denver has got to bring it on the offensive side and really be ready for a track meet if they want to have any chance of competing against Mahomes, regardless of how well the defense plays. Like They're going to score points. And so you've got to be able to be ready to kind of go um, tit for tat with them on the offensive side whenever they're putting up touchdowns. So, so one other thing I think with the chiefs that I do think, again, I, we're going to get this overreaction if the chiefs win this game anyway, just because it happens no matter what, anytime the Broncos lose, there's some segment of the fans that just fire everybody, all that stuff. But here's the thing with the chiefs Spags, their defensive coordinator calls a lot of blitzes. He's a very aggressive defensive coordinator. So we just went through all this, the last three, like the first three weeks of the season, we dealt with this. It's going to be a thing again. They have the personnel up front to cause issues for the offensive line. That said, it's a good test to see how Drew Locke responds and how he's grown from the first game of the year. Maybe he fails in this. Maybe he doesn't. But it's part of the kind of the evaluation. So I, I'm i not going into this game thinking I'm going to get too high or too low. I mean, if they win, I'm going to be over the moon. So like, <laughs> I'll get too high, but I'm not going to get too low if they lose to the Chiefs. Just because this is probably the best team in football. If not, they're one of the two best teams in football. Um, so I'm not, I'm not looking at this expecting a win. I'm not looking at this expecting a loss. I just, it's a really, really good matchup to see where the Broncos are at. 
and it's not a good matchup in terms of like how you look at the personnel and stuff. But there's no excuses. Like they have to rise to the occasion. It's a division game, so it'll be good. It'll it'll be a good game. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I think this is probably one of the. I mean, if if there is such a thing, the healthiest Denver will be if Noah Fant is able to play. They'll have Noah Fant in there. Drew Locke will be back, um, except for Dalton Reisner, maybe not able to play. But um, Lindsey's back. Maybe we get AJ Boye back. I haven't seen um, the latest update with him, but Denver's starting to get some of their guys back, and so at least it's not you know caveated three different times like you had when Jeff Driscoll was leading the team, or you had Brett Rippin in, or something like that. So at least you get like a fair shot at putting something together against the Chiefs. So I think that's going to be a fun part of the evaluation too. Is that the the people you're evaluating are ones that are going to be with the team moving forward? Should be fun. So we'll see what happens. It's Chiefs week, everybody. So get ready. Go Broncos.